Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and go to Nehemiah chapter 1. So, uh, understand Ezra, when uh, that book was written, it starts out and it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and this was something uh, that started when Cyrus made that decree for them to go back and to rebuild the temple. And so, uh, the, it's not clear from Ezra how many years passed during this time, but it was several years because they started doing the work. It took time for them to go back. They started doing the work. They stopped the work for a while, but then they went back to work. And so, we last week, we saw chapter 10, how it ended really pretty bad, where after Ezra and his team came, things were a mess in uh, Jerusalem. The priests were not, uh, they were all intermarried and they had to do these mass divorces. And so it was just kind of a mess, but they were trying to do right. They were trying desperately hard to follow the law. They And Israel, they were always making the mistake of thinking they could keep the law. You know, they, they would, you know, they got the Ten Commandments like we can do that. You know, they told Joshua, all that the Lord commands, we will do. You know, they had, they had every intention. And, you know, that's a good point to make, too, to people who teach. Well, you don't have to repent of your sins to be saved, but you have to at least be willing to repent of your sins, to be all your sins to be saved. So, well, the problem is Israel, they were always ready and willing to obey the law, but they never succeeded, no matter how hard they tried. And so here we are in Nehemiah. And it says in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. And so I'm assuming here, it doesn't say in the 20th year of Cyrus, king of Persia, but I'm assuming this is probably 20 years after they had been restored to the land. So this is um, not that many years after Ezra 10, but some time has passed. Not much, but some time has passed um, since the events that we see in Ezra. And so verse 2 says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So, Understand, when Israel got restored to the land, they didn't all go back. And, um, and, you know, over, I mean, up until the time of Christ, they were still scattered all over the world. Many of them, they had the freedom to go back. They would go back on, for the day of Pentecost. They would travel back for the different feasts and things. But the Jews have always had a bad habit of just settling and being happy wherever they're at instead of going to the land. Now, I will say, since the time of Christ, that's okay. They don't have to settle in the land. They don't have to go back to the land. They're probably better off not being in that land. But this was something they were supposed to do while under the law, and they just they were never doing it. And uh, when I was in uh, Jerusalem last year at the Temple Mount Institute, uh, one of the things that the, uh, the person there who run, uh, works there at the place He's like, that's the problem with, with my people. You know, they're always satisfied to just stay wherever they're at. That's always been our, how we've been, even in Egypt. You know, he brought it, and a lot of the children of Israel, they want to go back to Egypt. So, uh, it's always been a problem, which is why we have Zionism that, and I, I, this is completely unrelated, but that's why a lot of times 
the Zionist Jews are behind persecution of regular Jews because they need them wanting to leave these places where they're at so they will go settle in Israel. And so uh, that's another story for another day. But verse, just, this just shows how things have never changed in that culture. And so while they had been at work for a long time, not much is getting done. There's still a lot to do. They had rebuilt the temple or maybe they were still in the process of rebuilding the temple, but the walls are burned. The people were in affliction. They were a reproach. They had no respect as a people. So things were still pretty bad during this time. While God had brought them back into the land, they definitely had not been restored to their former glory. They never did get restored to the like that was in the days of Solomon. They had every opportunity God provided everything that could be needed, but Israel had a... They, you know what their problem was? They failed at keeping the law. They always thought they could, but they couldn't keep... They just couldn't do it. And so verse 4 says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down, wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses." So Nehemiah, he is, he is very much like Ezra. He t- prays a prayer very much like Ezra's prayer. There were, remember, they took the best of Judah into captivity because they wanted to use these people in their kingdom. And so they did. They took the best, the brightest, the smartest, the whole nine yards. And so we do see there were great men of character, of faith, who loved the Word of God. You had Daniel was one of them. You had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men of great conviction. You had men like Ezra, uh, that ready scribe of God, who did, who not, he, when he went back to Jerusalem, he just assumed these people were going to be back there keeping the law, and he was horrified when he saw what was going on. And Nehemiah, he knows that they've been restored back to the land. He knows about Cyrus's proclamation and all these things they had going for him. So he's just assuming, man, they're probably going to town there. They're building things. Things are getting back to normal. You know, and, but then he meets these men that have returned from Judah and finds out that is not the case at all. And so Nehemiah, he, he understands Israel has not learned their lesson yet. They still are failing to keep the law of God. And he does, and he makes this great prayer right here. And the two big problems Israel always had, it was two big problems. And that was an inability to keep the law and a lack of faith. Okay? And let me just say, here's the difference between us and them. We also have an inability to keep the law. The difference between us and them, though, we have admitted that we cannot keep the law of God. And we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our righteousness rather than our own works. And, I, and this is what Israel should have done. They should have called on the Lord. They should have, as a nation, they should have, they should have confessed their sins. They should have confessed their inability to keep the law and their dependence on Him. They should have done these things. And you say, well, what would have happened if as a nation they would have done that? Well, I can't 
you know, give you exact details and exact timelines of when they had an opportunity to do these things. But remember, Jesus said to Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee together? But ye would not. So they had many opportunities where they could have called on the Lord, where they could have, uh, by faith, believed on Him as a nation, and He could have, you know, He could have saved them. But they never did that. They're always just trying to keep the law, yet failing, thinking they can keep the law. So verse 8 says, Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commanded thy servant Moses, saying, If, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Now, turn over to Leviticus chapter 26, because this is where I believe he's referring to. He's either referring to Leviticus chapter 26, um, or quite possibly Deuteronomy 28, but Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy repeats a lot of stuff that was originally given in the law. So it's probably in reality, he's referring to the same things. But let's look at some of these highlights in, uh, let's, or in some of these details in Leviticus chapter 26, because a lot of times too, people, I've literally heard dispensationalists, they'll go to passages like this and they will act like these are things that are still to come. But no, these were things that already happened. And let's go ahead and look. And it says, You shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land, to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Did Israel ever make idols in their history? Yeah, you better believe they made idols in their history. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Did they keep the Sabbaths and reverence the sanctuary? No, they didn't. We have many examples in the Scriptures where they did not do those things. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then... I will give you rain in due season and the land shall yield her increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So he said, if you do these things, you say, well, you know, it's not, it's not Israel's fault if one person goes and makes an out of something. No, as long as they do what the Scriptures commands and they go and they destroy that idol and destroy that individual. Then, but when, when a nation turns a blind eye to those things, then the nation is guilty of those things. And so understand whenever we whenever you go and you see the stories of individuals and nothing is done about it, that is the nation doing those things. And that is why our nation is guilty of sodomy and things like that. Our nation is guilty of murder and all kinds of horrible grotesque sins because our nation is not doing anything about it. So again, if you know a couple people are doing the, even if a bunch of people are doing these things, as long as as a nation we are dealing with it according to the word of God, we're covered. So, but Israel did not do that. So understand, every one of these things they are guilty of. And it says, "And your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely." And now, was Israel safe during most of their history? No, they were constantly being attacked. You know why? Because they weren't obeying God's law. So God was removing His protection. And I will give peace in their land. And ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And I've seen people using these verses saying this is what's going to happen in Israel right now. It's just like... um. That's if they obey God's laws. That's if they keep His Sabbaths. And guess what? They can't do 
literally any of those things until they receive Jesus Christ. So, this absolutely does not, is not going to happen with them. You cannot make that application. It says, For I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And keep remembering, all these things are if you obey the law. And ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. Like, they're the apple of God's eye. Are you sure about that? This says he'll abhor them if they don't keep his law. Are they keeping his law? No. So guess what? God abhors them. Verse 12, uh, 13. Um, I'm the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land, forth out of the land of Egypt, that there should not be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this even unto you. Now, this is the part of the prophecy that we should be paying attention to. Everybody wants to read the parts of the prophecy where he's promising good things if they obey the law. And, is, and we know Israel didn't obey the law, but people act like this has to be fulfilled. No. Let's read the part where it says what will happen if they don't obey the law. Because guess what? They didn't obey the law. And it says... I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague, and shall consume the eyes, and, and uh, cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you. And ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you. And ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, when I will punish you seven times more for your sins." And I've been listening to pastors say that too. They always say that about the Jews. God punishes them seven times more for their sins, which is one of the reasons they say they will go through the tribulation, you know, but yet be restored. But we will not because they're Jews and God punishes them seven times more. Okay, no. First off, God said this to His people that were in His covenant. And understand they remove themselves from that covenant. And man, what I just said right there will trigger so many dispensationalists. But I'm telling you, the chapter I was working on yesterday in my book, it, it just, there's, there's absolutely no doubt there was a way to get out of that covenant that is so easily provable, yet everyone ignores it. Everyone ignores it and... Don't get me talking about that. I, I can't do it right now. I have to prove that some other time. But understand, God did punish them a lot for their sins. Folks, they got punished a lot. God absolutely kept this promise. Okay, Everybody wants to say seven times more, act like that's for them in the future. No, this has already happened to them. The stuff they went through was horrible. We see terrible things in their own history. We see the story where you had the two women that agreed with each other to eat their own, their own children and then they ate the one and then the other mom, after she got her belly full, decided to hide her kid and then the other mom who ate her child goes to the king wanting him to judge the other mom for not fulfilling her agreement to eat the child. And even that wicked king, when that happened, he rent his clothes and he was he humbled himself because that was such a horrible thing there's a story from josephus in 70 a.d when they were going through the jewish roman war they were surrounded by those armies they they got so hungry 
during that time, there was so little food that just a lot of these crazy zealots and uh, soldiers, they were just kind of taking everything. They were stealing everything. And there was this one woman that went and she just decided this is no way for her child to live. You know, it's just, it was so horrible there. And she literally went and cooked her own child and ate part of them and stored the rest of them. And the soldiers, they smelled meat cooking. And so they like came there to find out because, you know, they were to, to take her food. And then they saw the baby and they saw what she was doing. And even they were just so horrified at what had taken place and how, how bad things were. Folks, the, some of the stuff that Israel went through in their history, just what we read in the scriptures, even things we can read in history up to 70 AD, is just, it's, it's beyond anything we've ever seen and hopefully we'll ever see. And God did punish them seven times more for their sins. They, they got it bad. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And not only did they get it bad, but Paul said that wrath has come on them to the uttermost. They will always be under God's wrath. So, verse 20 says, And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. And you say, why does God punish them so much more? Here's why. To whom much is given, much is required. To them were committed the oracles of God. God sent them the prophets. God did miracles. God brought them out of Egypt. God fed them manna in the wilderness. God made water come from a rock for them. I mean, God did everything for them. They, they got what they deserved. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few, uh, few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed, by me, by these things, but will walk contrary to me, then will I also walk contrary to you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you and shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you and ye shall be delivered in the hand of the enemy. So now keep on noticing. He keeps mentioning how he's going to punish them seven times. Okay, Keep that in mind. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall break, bake your bread in, in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. That happened more than once. In their history, one time we see it in the Bible, and we do, and we do, we see it in 70 AD too. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you, and I will make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries into desolation. Remember what Jesus said about that house? Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. He, all these things, this is the prophecy we should be looking at. It says, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors, and I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then, now watch this. So, so when did all this get fulfilled? Okay. During the Babylonian captivity. Okay. During the Babylonian captivity. And watch this. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lieth desolate 
and ye be in your enemies' lands, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall not rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. And remember, why did they do 70 years in Babylon? You know why? Because every seven years they were supposed to let the land rest. There was a Sabbath year that they would have and they never followed that. Seventy Sabbaths they skipped. So when God punished them, God said, okay, you know what? You never let the land rest. I'm going to let the land rest. I'm driving you out of the land for 70 years. And not only... Did God punish them for that 70 years so the land could uh, enjoy her Sabbaths? Like He said He would way back in Leviticus, that Daniel understood this, Jeremiah understood this, Nehemiah got a hold of this, Ezra understood this. Many of these men of God, they understood exactly what happened. They, they understood these things. But God said, I'm going to punish you seven times for your sins. And after the 70 year captivity, as it was coming to an end, what do we have? We have Daniel 9. Daniel 9, where what does he do? He gives the prophecy of the 70 weeks. What are those? There's 70 sevens. 70 times 7, where basically they were going to still, even though they were getting restored to the land, they were going to have another 490 years of desolations, of judgment, of punishment. Right there, I believe, was God punishing them the seven times for their sins. They got that 70 years and then they got the 70 times 7 that they dealt with that ended and the consummation of that was after the destruction of the temple that he referred to in, in the end of Daniel chapter 9. We're not going to go through all that. I know we're familiar with Daniel chapter 9 here, but I do. I believe that's why it was the 70, that, the 490. That's them getting punished seven times. For their sins. So, um, so that's pretty extreme. Well, again, look at all God did for them. It's not like they weren't warned. God absolutely warned them of everything that was going to happen. And, you know, they had, and, you know, they had no business to be like, why is this happening? And isn't that what we do all the time? Whenever we sin against God and problems come and He chases us, and we're like, why? We don't like when our kids do that, when they do something wrong and you spank them. are like, why did I get spanked? It's like, because you disobeyed. You know why. Israel And Israel knew why they were being punished. They, they absolutely knew. And guys like Nehemiah, they're confessing these things. And so, verse 36, And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies, and the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as a fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursueth, and they shall fall one upon another as it were before a sword when none pursueth, and ye shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and ye shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up, and they that are left out of you shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, and also in the iniquities of their fathers shall they pine away with them. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their fathers with their trespass, which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. Watch this. What did he say? If they remember. Okay? If they confess what they did, if they confess what their fathers did, after 
they've been punished seven times. They were going to get punished seven times. They got punished seven times. And he said, if they will remember, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember and I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbath while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity because even because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And yet for all that, when they shall be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them. For I am Lord their God, but I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes, the judgments, and the laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And right here is why the, the apostles were worked so hard to get Israel to repent as a nation, to get them to confess the sins and to confess the sins of their fathers and to believe on Christ. And as a nation, they didn't do it and they were destroyed. But at the same time, too, we do see where God fulfilled this promise that he made here because there were thousands of Jews who did get saved during that first century. We see that in the book of Acts, thousands, multitudes of Jews getting saved. Now, as a nation, they didn't. Okay? The vast majority of them rejected the Messiah, and they did. And they experienced the final part, the consummation of that judgment that was pronounced on them in Daniel chapter 9. Or I guess you could say the not that was pronounced on them because that judgment was pronounced on them back here in Leviticus. The reality. God said, I'm going to do it seven times. Daniel just basically showed us when the clock started on all that and, and when it all started going down. But Israel, sure enough, they experienced all those things and God did remember his covenant, which is why in Romans chapter 11, Paul was proving that not that God was going to like go back to an Old Testament economy and all the foolishness that the dispensations teach. He was proving then, in this present time, God can still save Jews. Why? Because of His promise to the fathers. And so, if you have a Jew, even today, who says, hey, our fathers were wrong. Our fathers sinned. I am a sinner. The only way to find righteousness is through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. My fathers were wrong when they killed the Messiah. And if that, per, if that Jew will believe on Christ, he will be saved. Why? Because of the promise that God made here in Leviticus. Right here, that was what Paul preached in Romans 11 is straight out of I mean, it's exactly what we see here in Leviticus. So this is just showing they can still be saved. Uh, as, and, and thank God, there are. There are many Jews that have gotten saved. So, uh, we're not going to take time, but if you go through Deuteronomy 28, because again, Deuteronomy, it repeats a lot of stuff from the Old Testament, but Deuteronomy 28, it's just kind of re- reminding them again. You know, the Leviticus, most of, it was, it was writ- most of that was written in the beginning when they first came, uh, got into the wilderness after Mount Sinai, but then Deuteronomy was something that was written right before they went into the Promised Land, right as Moses was about to pass off the scene. And so there's a lot of things that they were reminded of. And so we're not going to go through Deuteronomy 28, but Israel was warned, and everything God said would come on them came on them. They got punished seven times for their sins. And so verse 9, 
But even after their seven times punishment, any of them, if they will confess their sins of their fathers, they can still be forgiven. And that is still true today. So it says, but if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And that's literally what God was doing in that day. He was restoring them to the land. Now, these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And so I want you to notice there is a stark contrast between what we see in Ezra 1 and Nehemiah 1. In Ezra 1, we see Israel, they got exactly what they wanted and were thrilled. The king said, you can go back. They, they, everything was great. So that, but the simple fact is, even though the king told them, you can go back to your land, you know, and basically God was behind it, it was still, there were still going to be some challenges. And there's a lesson for all of us when it comes to that. Okay? There, and that is, often when God does something great in our life, a lot of times when God answers some of our prayers, we often make the mistake of thinking that everything's going to be easy and smooth from here on out. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of young people think if I could just find, find a wife or a husband, I'd be happy. Well, I mean, hey, I believe when you get married, that's a great thing and that's going to be a great moment. But guess what? Marriage has challenges. Oh, if I could just have kids, then I'd be happy. I'd be satisfied in life. Hey, it is a wonderful thing having kids, but guess what? There's challenges with raising kids. There's, there's trials, there's troubles. And a lot of people think, hey, you know, if I, if I get saved, if I start serving the Lord, I get in church, my life's going to be better. And you know what? It probably is going to be better, but there's still going to be challenges along the way. So many times we pray, Lord, give me this one thing place this one thing in my life, and then, you know, I'll be happy. But the problem is, no matter where we are in our life, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be battles. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in Nehemiah. Even though a lot of things were going their way, do you think the devil's just going to sit around and do nothing? That's not how these things work. And that's, how, that's not how it works in our personal life. It's not going to, it's not, uh, that's not how it's going to work in a church. A lot of people think if I could just get this job. Well, hey, getting hired on a job is a great thing. It's a first step. You can't make any money at a job until you get hired on that job. But when you start working that job, guess what? You're going to have to work. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have rough days. And so it was the same thing with Israel. They kind of had a mentality, kind of like we do today, where we think, you know, if God would just do this one thing, everything's going to be great. Well, hey, it's great when God does that one thing, but you still got to do some work. There's still some challenges. And too often we do. We think of God like a glorified Santa Claus. You know, and what we need to do is we should be making him Lord and just watching him so he, he can speak to us and we can seek to please him. That should be our attitude. Not, Lord, do this thing for me and my life will be smooth sailing. Our attitude should be, Lord, what do you want me to do today? That's the attitude that we, ought, that we ought to have. And so just remember, too, if you forget God, it's easy to do. Very, in fact, 
Israel was warned. When things go good and you all are living in houses you didn't build and eating food and all this stuff to the full, beware lest ye forget. When things are good, that's typically when we forget God. And understand, if you forget God, He's going to give you a reason to remember Him. So always, always keep God first. And if things are going good in your life and you feel like, I don't, I don't even need to pray for anything right now, I'd start praying. I'd start praying if I were you because... You're, uh, if you if you forget God and slack off on your prayer life, God will give you reason to pray. God wants to hear from you. So I'd rather do it when things are going good. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chapter and the lessons we can learn from it. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to always keep you first and forefront in our hearts and minds. And I pray that we'll remember you, Lord, when whether things are uh, good or bad. And that we'll uh, be obedient and uh, serve you in a great way. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.